I'm Evan DeWald, and I am joined by Tara Lindsley, and we are the voices behind the Unpacked Podcast. On the Unpacked Podcast, one of the things we love to do is talk about life and storytelling, and sometimes life gets messy and vulnerable and all those things. So we have conversations, conversations with counselors, with psychologists, with industry leaders, storytellers, and just regular humans that are making a difference in the world. Yeah, and we're just hoping to grow and reflect and heal together. So you can find our podcast anywhere you subscribe to your podcasts. New episodes come out every Thursday. Enjoy. Make sure to like and subscribe. See you there. Hey, Tara. Hey. Oh, we kicking off something fun here today. Yeah, we are. Well, maybe not f- as much fun as as much as it is important. It's something we deeply care about. It is. And we like to do little series on different things we care about. Yeah. We've done lots of them. I know. We have quite a few now. Obviously, we did the big shoulder to shoulder one. Yeah. That was a huge. And the Enneagram series. The Enneagram series. Adoption. Yeah. We've done a few series. I know. Series is. Is that how you say it? I think it's just series. All right. Well, here we go. Okay. We're going to do a series on Haiti. Well, at least a small series. It's a mini series. <laughs> couple of stories for a couple of weeks here. And we just got like, this was what one of the favorite parts for me about this was we went to Haiti for these. Yeah, we did. So we got to sit with these people live and record their stories and, and hear about their lives. It was really a big deal. What, what, did, what did this last trip for you like, what was that about? What did that mean for you to be able to go back into Haiti? You've been there a few times. What was that like? Was there a funniest thing that happened for you too? <laughs> Funny thing. <laughs> oh, maybe funny. You know, we're going to talk serious stuff here. Yeah, this so X, we so. might as well lighten it up. Yeah. Okay. So for me, when Dr. Mono called, I was like not thinking I would go. It's been a few years, but I also have a little kid. So I was like, oh, it's probably not possible for me to go. But then he called and he was so exciting. And I don't know if you're familiar with people like that who are like visionaries and like dream casters. They can be really compelling. Really compelling. And he was very specific about me sharing stories and how there was a specific opportunity with the diabetic conference that it would be really important. And I was like, oh, like me. Oh. And then I realized I really wanted to go and see him and see people there again. He's really quite charming. He's very charming. Yeah. And he makes such a good plan and a good vision for what of telling all the stories that are there and present. And he just needs support doing that. So of course you want to uh, help him. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. And and you know what? This is so much more than just helping him. This is helping all these projects, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. For me, this trip was really important because we got to bring Otto with like my, my youngest. And that was um, really fun. We had Kirsten was on the trip as well. She brought her son, Caleb, and then we had another young person along with us and it was fun. It was really yeah, good that yeah, way. A good, good group of people. And we'll get into more about kind of what that trip kind of felt like. But probably for me, like there was some real highlighty, like kind of emotionally moments. One not so emotional. Well, it was emotional once we, when we were settling it out, it was okay. a bit on the emotional side, but um, we had a cancellation. We couldn't go somewhere one day. Mm-hmm. We decided to fill it with an hour or two at the beach. I spent what, uh, six minutes? Yeah, I think even less, maybe. About maybe a little less than six yeah, minutes. Yeah, you in the and ocean. Otto. Yeah. And both of us stepped on a sea urchin. Yep. So uh, out of the water. And then we basically were picking slivers, uh, like whatever you call them. Yeah, they were like slivers, but embedded. Embedded in the bottom 
right in the bottom of my foot and the side of his foot for the next like 12 hours or so. Yeah, it was a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like a bit much. Uh, <laughs> I was on the beach when all the Haitians were freaking out that you guys were swimming in the wrong area, yeah. which was also entertaining because they were saying to me, tell them. Yeah. And I was like, you're louder than me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> anyway, it was, it, it, that, that was probably, yeah, it was a funny story. In the end, I feel like it was funny. It's it's one to tell. It's funny because we then spent the entire evening when Mono, Dr. Mono, brought up all the actual supplies to help get these out. And he got tired. Yeah, his eyes got tired, which it was a it's lot. fair. Like, and he's a busy man. So fair. And there was a lot and they were really hard to see. And it took both Kirsten and I with both our lights to find them all. And Otto's like holding my leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a whole... It was a whole deal of performing surgery. So when she took over as lead surgeon, <laughs> it was a big deal. <laughs> she, you know, I got to be honest with you. She was far more gentle than Mono was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, that's a fact. I believe it. She had quite the strategy too. She was very good at it. You know, um, I, I was telling some of the guys in the hockey, uh, in my dressing room just this week, they were like, we, we were just chatting about different places they'd been. Somebody, one of them had been to Thailand and when like years and years ago. And I was like, yeah, I've been, been to a few places, a couple places in Africa and a few places in like the Middle East. And I said, I'd been to Israel, Palestine. They're like, holy smoke, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like not recently. Um, but uh, yeah, so there, I was just kind of sharing that. And then I said, well, and of course, like I go to Haiti all the time. I've been to Haiti lots. And uh, so um, that, of course stirred up some more questions and a few more guys were listening in and kind of fear of what, what do we do there and what, what's that about? And yeah, it kind of made me, took me all the way back to like 2002. Is that when it started? First, I think that was the first summer I went was in 2002. Yeah. So what about Haiti? Like, why did you go to Haiti? You know, there was a lady that was going, that was in our church. Um, she had lived in Haiti for a year. Her name was Kathy and she um, had led trips she led trips from the local Bible college that was kind of nearby um, that we were, uh, was a kind of a part of our family of churches at the time. And yeah, she kind of opened it up for people from our church to go. And so I went, I was the youth pastor at the time. There was a couple of teenagers that went along with us on that trip. And, and then a family came, like a whole family came and a few others. And yeah, we got to kind of go and experience that for the first time. We, we went in July. Ooh. And I thought it was hot this time. Like it was hot, humid when we were here yeah. this last time. That was just hot, hot. Yeah. It was wild. No fans, <laughs> no nothing. None of those things were available to us. Wow. Yeah. I pretty much committed to never going back in July again. Yeah. That, that makes sense. So, but why did you go back? Um, you know what? I, I think the best thing I can tell, and I ended up saying this in the dressing room. I think, I think this is a little bit because I brought up my heart. In the dressing room. Whoa, at like, hockey? Yeah, it's kind of a no-no, mm -hmm. you know, among among guys. You're kind of a rule breaker. I am. I am that way. But I, I just, uh, I was captured by the people the very first trip. This, the, this, there's a mystical sense about people in Haiti. Um, you know, they are the, they, they do live statistically in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. They essentially live on a dollar a day, U.S. dollar. Um, that is not enough. No, for the expenses. Provide for their needs. And, and uh, so it's it's kind of like the math doesn't even line up. And yet here they are, they're surviving and they're, I wouldn't say thriving, but they're surviving. And there is a mystical thing about them that they, they do carry with them a, a sense of joy that is contagious. Yeah. 
and it's mysterious enough that it kind of calls you back a little bit. Yeah, it you gotta does. go back and understand more about it and try to understand that in bigger ways. And of course, for them, that's very connected to their faith and their understanding of God's presence in their life. But but there's just something about them that is it's just beautiful and it's attractive. And so I, I started to go back, like I actually went back almost immediately, like right away, led another trip and then started leading trips. And I've been, I, I, I got asked in the dressing room and I was like, I don't know, maybe 16, 17 times. Wow. I'm not sure I'd have to pull out a passport and really see for a few, for quite a while. It was every year. Yeah. But I ended up saying to him, I was like, you know, every time I go to Haiti, it's like, I, I feel like I, I little, I leave a little piece of my heart there. And, uh, and that someday I, I worry a little bit that maybe more of my heart will be there than here. And um, it wasn't about the projects. It wasn't about the excitement around getting things done there or any of those things. It really was about people that, uh, that grew this connection and kind of grew this kind of thing into something so much larger. Yeah. And then you kind of have a role now that it, your role has kind of evolved. So you used to take groups. Yeah, I used to take groups. I still will take groups. Um, but I, um, yeah, I over, I kind of took over as one of the people who kind of oversees kind of how we're empowering um, some of the leaders of different people in Haiti to do some of the different projects that are going on there. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm on the Canadian side of of doing that, working with with uh, community groups, churches, other individuals, and all those kind of things to kind of finance, work on planning, and then and then develop like how do we how do we empower people? So when we go, we listen. Are there new things? Are there new people? Are there new stories? We're going to even hear one today a little bit, or in this series, we'll hear from Elio, which is kind of an old friend with a new kind of vision. Yeah, get to obviously go back and connect with my friends. Dr. Mono being one of those key people, and he's also in this series. We get a little bit of his story, which is really, really, really fun. And we've shared those before, too, so I think I'll actually link them all together. Like, we won't reshare them all, but we have a few stories from people in Haiti, but usually we're here in Canada yeah. when we're talking to them. Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. Can I quickly tell people about the projects that we do there? Yeah, I think so. I get excited about the projects because they're, like, each of these things, like, we could see them like, oh, it's a project that we do there. But it really isn't that way. It's like we help to provide and empower, we help to provide resources, so money in particular, um, towards some of these projects. But, but each one of these projects is a representation of an individual who cared about their community and wanted to continue to do that. And so we just, we were able over the years, we've just listened and what's happening here already, you know, in, in, in faith-based languages, what's God already doing here that we can kind of participate in and be a part of what's happening. And, and, um, so that's, that's a little bit of kind of what we've done and, and man, these people have a passion for their community. Yeah. So much so that it's inspiring around the world. Yeah. Like when people hear it, you're like, that's what you want to do. And that's what you've dreamed up and you're figuring out how to do it already. Yeah. And often there's just a little bit of support or encouragement that's needed. Yeah. So I think that's what I would want as I, as I kind of quickly kind of go through the little bit of the details about each of these things. I'd really want people to go, okay, but there's a human or there's a group of humans that are making this happen. And it, it, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. It, it makes me proud of my friends. Anyway, I'll, I'll just quickly kind of give you the quick rundown on them and not kind of how they, how they work or how they operate. The first one, um, this is the the officially the oldest one. It's it's called the Sarepta Project. It's based on um, caring for the elderly people. It comes out of a of the story. The lady, the woman's name, her 
Her name is Madame Mark. And um, we had a chance to hear a little bit of her story on this trip and kind of what she's hoping for in the next few years. She was in church and just recognizing that, seeing that a lot of the elderly people in her church were passing out at church. And uh, like, honestly, I've been to church uh, there in the heat and (laughs) felt like I wanted to pass out too. Um, But this was for very different reasons. Um, (laughs) she, She kind of quickly was like, just discovered that people were, the elderly were passing out because they were malnourished and hungry and still bringing themselves to church. So she started this Repta program. Um, she was like a single mom. She had kids and they started making this sacrifice to kind of feed some of the elderly people on Sunday mornings um, so that they could go into church and, uh, and that this, this would stop happening. And that turned into a food program where they started giving out uh, not just on Sunday mornings would they feed people, but then they would give them food uh, for the month. And um, so that project continues to kind of operate today. It's it's uh, it's an incredible project. 100, 110 yeah, senior citizens, and they've kind of added in um, some handicapped individuals as well that kind of struggle to to make make do and, and get by. So yeah, um, she's just seriously one of my favorite people. It's she's total so servant. sweet. Yeah. yeah, even this trip, mm-hmm. right? We we're doing one of the diabetic days, and she was happened to be there. And uh, to see her just as soon as it was time to eat or anything was happening, she just jumped up, started serving and helping. And She was concerned every time someone came through the door that didn't have a chair. Yeah. Yeah. Just so hospitable, right? And uh, yeah, you can't, you can't help but fall yeah. in love with a lady like this. Yeah. She's amazing. And she gives everyone a hug and she's so, so, so loving. Yeah, exactly. She's like everybody's mom is what she feels like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's the kind of mom you you would dream of having, and I have a mom that you would dream of having, and and uh, yeah, I'm still pretty f- impressed with Madame Mark too. So. Yeah. We we commit about about eleven about eleven thousand Canadian dollars a year to that program, yeah, to to make that happen, and so yeah, some of the other projects uh, that probably uh, the next one in line is in terms of like what did we do would be the Sante two thousand the diabetic care in Doctor Mono's clinic. And um, it's also the the biggest financial commitment that 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 we have as well. Mono, I met him in 2002 when I went very first time. He was still training to become a doctor, and so he'd kind of come home to meet us all. And yeah, he uh, he through a series of different events really just grew a passion for healthcare and for people in his community. And um, he's just an incredibly smart guy. Yeah, he is. A lot of wisdom and a great sense of humor. He kind of mixes all those things together to really bring quality, quality care um, and dignity to his patients, which isn't something that all patients get in Haiti. Or anywhere. Uh, or anywhere. And uh, so that's one of their values is just to, to bring dignity and care for anyone, whether they can pay or not. Yeah. And he asks them in a very unique way. Like he doesn't just ask like, do you have money? to pay he asks like what's your financial situation how did you get here today what's yeah like all of those kind of have you eaten what is that like there's lots of questions that go with more a holistic view of care yeah and over the years um he's kind of moved like he does like actual all care so anyone can come to him to see him but he's he's kind of leaned into a specialty of caring for diabetic patients and so um his diabetic the diabetic side of Sante 2000, which means just health, health 2000, is like upwards in the 500 patients, diabetic patients. It's even more than that. Yeah. Oh, wow, really? And I know that number fluctuates back and forth, but all different kinds, he's 
constantly trying to get insulin into the country and all of the different supplies for that. And, and, you know, it's a funny thing. We might be just be like, oh yeah, diabetic. Oh yeah, I see. You know, in, in Canada, that's how we talk about it. What an inconvenience to have diabetes, you know, in Canada and in Haiti and other countries like this, this is, this is like the kind of thing that ends your life. Mm-hmm. And so it's serious. And burdens your whole family. Burdens your whole family as people try to figure out how to get that insulin, pay for that insulin, take care of you. You know, it, it, it's a real, real challenge for him. And he, he, you know, my heart breaks for him often because he is committed to staying in that place. He wouldn't need to. Doctors can leave and, and lots of Haitian doctors do. Um, but he's just been really committed to to uh, staying there and being a, a source of hope in, in his community and, and to continue to bring health care to people. Wow, what a problem solver. Yeah. The guy solves problems. So like every day he is solving problems and making impossible decisions and not just at his clinic, but I actually like the thing people don't always realize is we talk about him so much because he actually is overseeing almost everything there. Yeah. So he is the main source of information as well as like we're connecting with all the leaders, but he is the person who's like, culturally, this is how we go about this, or this is what you need to know or giving advice of how you would do things here or how you make a project start and and then he checks in with all those leaders and cares for them. Yeah, he's amazing that way. Yeah, big commitment, financial commitment to the clinic. They're about somewhere around 36000 a year. And that's just the, the regular commitments we also try to do. Is sometimes like there's a cholera outbreak that's kind of taking place right now. We're, we're recording this in December. And um, it's serious. And so we did a little fundraiser for that. And so it's never too late to, to give towards this. We're going to tell people how to do that towards yeah. the end of the episode here. Yeah, Petite Ons is a place. It is basically um, a suburb or a slum of a larger city in northern Haiti of Cape Haitian. I don't know how to describe it. I don't want to get too into it, but essentially it's one of the poorest of poor places I've ever been. Um, it's not one of, it is the poorest of poor places I've ever been. And um, out of desperation, a lot of the folks that live there have started purchasing garbage and they are pushing it into the bay. And then they mix it with dirt and it basically creates land. And so it's a spongy, weird kind of land. And then, of course, all the underwater that's under underneath is kind of seeping through and bringing with it the toxins and garbage. And it's just a smelly, challenging place to live and grow up and, and be healthy in. And uh, so in that space, um, we uh, our family of churches helps to support the Duguay family um, while they, they do what they can to feed about 160 kids twice a week. And, and that's a big deal. Uh, and the reason why it's a big deal is because the majority of the kids there aren't actually getting meals any other time. Yeah, like they're being fed twice a week. Yes, they actually get food that they can chew twice a week. The other days a week, they receive um, a nutritional product called Relive, which is like a, a protein shake. I guess would be the best way. Uh, it's like a powder they mix with water and, and, uh, and then they are drinking that. And it has some uh, of the nutritional things that their bodies need, um, but uh, not enough, but some. And, um, and then we provide like rice, beans, and, and like a mixture of, of a few other things uh, twice a week. And really like that, I don't even know how to say it, but I, can you imagine like the psychological harm to a child that doesn't actually chew. And, and there's a lot of scientific reasons why children, what happens psychologically inside of a person when they don't eat, when they have mal, when they're malnourished as children, but also as they grow into adults and experience mal, malnutrition. Um, 
And then there's psychological, real psychological um, issues around security and a sense of safety and all of those kind of things when you chew, believe it or not. It's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. It's actually very regulating too. Yeah. Yeah. To chew. Oh, wow. So this is kind of a really, really important project that's kind of going on there. And we give just shy of about $20,000 a year to, to feed 160 kids twice a week mm-hmm. in that place. And yeah. It's a hard place. And it's still people. It's still humans. Yeah. Little humans running around. Yeah, that's what I was imagining when you were talking is all the little kids that are thrilled to be there and singing and excited. And yeah. It's, it's really, it's really something. Mm-hmm. It's really something there. And the Duguays are great and doing, doing good work there. The last project that we officially support is aquaculture. And I was, I did find myself telling the guys in the dressing room, cause I was like, this is the one that makes me most excited to be honest with you really, yeah. because it's, it really is about teaching people how to grow fish. And so I, I actually found myself telling them, "Yeah, hey, well, here's how it works. Like you can, you can dig a pond, you turn the water green, it's algae, turns tilapia, eat phytoplankton, you don't have to feed the fish. It's like wild. And, uh, and in a lot of ways, it is kind of one of the ways that we're trying to empower, educate uh, local farmers to, to think of different ways of providing for their families and growing, growing crops through fish farming. And it's sustainable. So looking at projects that are, you know, sustainable as well for people to do. Yeah, exactly. And and this is a kind of an interesting one for me. We, do, we don't invest a whole lot of cash in this. Yeah. But we do invest a lot of education. So we have some people there, like two, two young men who um, are learning about aquaculture and, and kind of facilitating the project down there. One's name is Valerie. The other's name is Half Charger. That's what yeah. we call them. Um, <laughs> And there's a whole story there, which I will not tell uh, today, but uh, they care a lot about empowering farmers and encouraging farmers. And so they go around every Saturday and yeah. check the ponds and give advice. And, and they give out some food, a little bit of fish food that, that uh, can be fed to the fish. And, um, and then they help problem solve and do some of those kind of things. It's really cool. Yeah, that project like as a whole to operate only costs us $2,900. And we give a little bit more because sometimes some of the ponds don't hold water well enough. So they need a liner or different kinds of things like that. But um, as a whole, that's what it is generally is costing us to run that project. And, and it's feeding them. Yeah, I think there's about 16 ponds there right now. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. exciting. People like and farmers are excited. People who have ponds are excited mm-hmm. about it. When they learn about it, it's a very exciting thing. Yeah. And there, it, it's it's a sustainable kind of ecosystem you're creating there too, which is fun, right? Like it's like, you can drain, you should drain some of the water out of the pond, um, you know, about 10% every week is like standard if they, they, they're not pulling that off every week, but that is the standard. But the water that comes out of there is high and like fertilize, it's basically fertilizer. Yeah, so to put that water on your crops that kind of are around your pond, uh, helps the, to increase their growth rate and all the different things there too. So it, it, it's kind of a little system. I'm trying to teach them how to do. And so I, I get pretty excited about that one. And, and, uh, and really the fact that it is really about education and empowerment. Yeah. And it exists there. It's just, you need people who know how to do it and how to kind of educate, like educate, but also share it with everybody and make those little like troubleshooting te- tweaks to things. Yeah, exactly. And the, the more that they do it, the more, like the more farmers that do it, the more farmers that see it's being done. And in that way, the kind of hope is that it could grow. There are big, there are some fish farms down there. They're big yeah. fish farms, you know, where they're, they're growing thousands and thousands of fish at a time and harvesting them down there. And, and uh, that, that is not what we're really trying to do. What we're trying to, because you requires constant power. There's a whole bunch of other things that could really go wrong. But what we're trying to do is to 
really engage an actual local farmer who has a has a name and has a piece of land and a story behind that. So even this last trip, we met a guy named Ronnie who's yeah. got his three ponds going and he was so excited about seeing the fish swim around in there and, and growing. So It working. Yeah. Like he was excited it was working. Yeah. So those are the four major projects that we support there. And then of course, individuals and different people who are doing different things along the way. Yeah. Can you talk about the relationship? Like, I think it's so interesting You've mentioned everybody's stories, but can you just expand a little bit on why that's so important? You know, I think I think one of the things that is challenging about the way we here in Canada see Haiti is, and I hear this a lot, is people like, oh man, yeah, that that country's all messed up. You got all those political problems, all those, you know, yeah, you know, they got voodoo, they, you know, it's corrupt, it's, it's all those things. There's gangs, it's violent, it's all those things. But you know, when you go there. And, and this is funny, kind of came up in a dressing room, like, it's dangerous there, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, I was in downtown Calgary last week. It's dangerous, too. <laughs> like, you really do want to know where you are here in Canada, too. And um, and so I think why I think the relationship is important for is for multiple reasons. One, these aren't politicians. These aren't, you know, corrupt people. These are just humans trying to survive. And we, and in some of the cases, we know their name. We know these people. And I've seen some of them, you know, grow up. And, you know, one of the episodes is going to be with Elio. I I met Elio when he was just a young man. Mm -hmm. He was not a young man. He was a teenager. Yeah. And, um, and so building and developing relationships with people is the, really the way in which progress really needs to happen. And, and, and it's not just because you know their name or their story, but it brings integrity to integrity to the process as well. So when we, when we receive money here in Canada and we start to divvy it out to some of these projects that we're talking about, we're, we're, we're giving these to individual people to get some of this work done and they're reporting it back and all those kind of things. But the whole thing is contingent on relationship and to me uh, uh, and our team, as well as to the Haitians who we work with on the other side, the relationship is the priority. Every time. Every time. So oftentimes when we call down there or when we're messaging back and forth, it's, it's not, how is the project going? You know, we haven't seen a report lately. It's how are you? Yeah. How is your family? We know you just had a baby. How was your baby? You know, we do we see pictures, right? All of those kinds of things. We want to see um, and connect with the lives of people in Haiti, not just the the food program or the, the medical care that's being provided or even the fish that are growing. Yeah, because also when you empower people to do what they do, they do so much more. So much more gets accomplished. Yeah, like I think that's just it. It's like even here. You know, when when you find a passionate person that cares about their compu- their community, and then you empower them, the projects and the things that get done are so much greater than you come up with an idea and then you find somebody to pay to make that idea happen. It just never is the same, and I think that that's uh, that's probably one of the good gifts of of being in relationship and connection with each of these people. I trust them. After you've been there as many times, right? It's like. You can see even when things are maybe challenging in their life and things are harder. Even this last trip, that was the case for some. It was a harder time this time it was. that we were there. So, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of kind of why a relationship is, is important. And the, how the money goes there is, you know, essentially, you know, part of the process of keeping the whole system, uh, keeping integrity in the whole system. 
And so, you know, for those who are maybe a little more money minded, it's kind of like we gather money here. You can get a tax receipt for that money. Yeah, because we're working with a nonprofit yeah, we're here. we're working with a nonprofit here, a charitable organization. It's sent down to another nonprofit down there that oversees and disperses the cash out to the four different, the, the resources out to the four different kind of projects that are going on. And, um, and then we receive back reports from each of those projects about kind of where they're at, where they're going. There's, there's, you know, there's an organizational side to everything that, that we do. Um, and that's just good record keeping and, and also provides for a greater opportunity for a deeper relationship and connection with people. You don't have to wonder, you know, did the, did they buy food? Yeah. And it's like, no, they bought food. We can see that they bought food. And for the projects. For the projects or, or whatever, right? Yeah. Insulin, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I feel very confident these days in the integrity of the system and the amount of money that goes is, is wild. Like I know there are some NGOs or like, nonprofit organizations that work in countries where a lot of money is spent on getting that money there and or paying, I don't know how else to say it. Fees and, Fees yeah, admin costs and things. People and different people. Even, even honestly, like a lot of nonprofit organizations are using, you know, foreigners to go in and, and run the programs in those countries. And we are not doing that. We're, we're yeah. actually providing for Haitian families while they facilitate their passion for their community. And I think in that way, it grows something uh, much greater. Yeah, I think you're right. And it is those people making the decisions on the ground. I also was going to say, too, when people ask about like the history, they're really making a judgment about the history of the country, but without knowing the history of the country of how it got there. It's like when you make an assumption about how people are homeless. Yeah. It's not the same situation, but it's very easy to go, well you just need to go to work or this is the problem yeah. there. And it's easy for us to just see it from the outside looking in without having any idea of what was oppressed. And so there's lots of information and I would, I'll link that I've shared other podcasts about the history of Haiti and how the country has been oppressed. Yeah. Cause I find that fascinating. I think it's interesting to point out that there are individuals who are doing great things there and it was unfair. Yeah. Like when you see the privilege we have versus there yeah exactly and even just being born here i didn't choose to be born here we don't choose where we're born no so why do the people get punished for a decision they didn't make yeah yeah exactly and i i think you know i'll i'll say this too just to add it on like one of the things stories for me that that rings true is like sometimes i'll hear well you know they need to get a job they need to whatever and it's like um Haitians are not lazy people these people work hard Yes, really the hardest. Weird. Yeah. And one of the stories is we were doing a little uh, presentation on aquaculture to a bunch of farmers. Um, one of the years that we were there and one of the guys came up and was like talking in Creole to our, our translator and saying, I think I'm, I'm going to do this. Like I have some land. I think I'm going to do it. And you, I think you should come out and see my land, like see where I want to put it. So we were like, yeah, we'll come. We'll come. Like we're here for several more days. We'll come in two days from now. We've walked out to his place like, a day and a half later, he's, he's almost dug a complete 20 by 20 pond. Oh my gosh. Like a meter deep. He's got his pickaxe out there and he was just going at her. It was crazy. Dude. And, 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 uh, it was hot and he was wearing a hat, like a, like a, like one of those like Russian winter hats, you know, like the fuzzy <laughs> things. It was really funny. Like what, what is this guy doing? Like just working like crazy. And he was so excited and, and, and started his project. So, um, yeah, this is not a people that's just sitting around. 
Definitely not. No, absolutely not. So, yeah, I love it there. Um, you know, every time I get to go, something funny happens. Like what? Like there's there's been the the amount of funny things that have happened when I've been there. Um, like both to me, but also around me. Okay, has been really really hilarious. And I'm I you know I'll tell you a funny story. Okay, but I got to tell you with every funny story, I tell you there's also like a. A sad story. Like either a sad story or one that just like is an absolute aha moment. Like, wh- wow, how do I see it this way? Including, you know, I'm an adoptive parent because of my very first trip to Haiti. So this is a pretty serious, that, this one's a little yeah. bit more serious. But I did have somebody who, was, who really asked if I would take their child. And Chris and I were in the middle of fertility challenges and some of those things. And I wasn't completely convinced adoption was for me until I saw the love of a mother and the desperation of a of a mom who was just desperate for her child to have a have a different chance, and uh, changed my life. Mm-hmm. Came home and was like, "No, we got to do this." I don't know why I waited so long. Yeah, and that changed me. And a lot of stories like that um, have changed me. And so, yeah, the the child that eventually came out of that whole experience was Caroline. Yeah. You know, and she's you know twenty. Amazing. Right. <laughs> this was a long time ago. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that can happen when you're on a trip like that. Also, other lost in translation things take place like real quick. Um, kind of a funny, funny story. And I, it's the one that comes to mind for me right now because we saw him when we were there. His name is Jude. Yeah. And uh, he's just this jovial guy. He's really hospitable, kind, funny kind of guy. Just like, you know, like young Evan. You know, probably it was 25, something like that, 2025. No, I'm a little bit older than that, I guess. Uh, I go down to greet him. He always would greet you with a handshake and a hug and a, like all those kind of things. And I'll tell you how great it was that we were there and all those kind of things. And in Haiti, um, there's no there's no real issue around like hand holding or any of those things like good friends hold hands simple as that it's nothing sexual about it it's just a a thing that they do and so you see it a lot and you actually see it a lot in african culture and countries anyhow i i I went down uh, i met him on the street i was gonna walk up to the clinic to do some work there i met him on the street reached out you know he grabbed my hand kind of like i thought we were shaking hands but he did grab it kind of awkwardly and he asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going up to the clinic. And, and he just, and I had a group of people with me. This is what was kind of funny. Um, he just didn't let go. Hmm. And you know, like sometimes you have like those folks that like, they're, they're, you know, they're a little bit longer on the handshake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it gets just like, until uh, it gets just a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was like a few hundred yards. <laughs> and he just started walking. And I, I remember I'm walking up the street and I know that my whole group is behind me. And I know they're just dying laughing and uh also i was kind of in the moment where i was like as uncomfortable as it was so uncomfortable for me it's just not something i'm used to yeah yeah there was a humor in it right away when it was happening i was like this is gonna make this is gonna be a funny story and uh and i was certain that it was gonna get brought up again and it definitely did get brought up again over the years and and um but just this beautiful guy who who just wanted to show me that hey i'm your friend yeah and we're friends. Yeah. And so let's walk together as friends. 
it's so beautiful and loving and then it's also really funny because you weren't expecting it yeah you know i'm not really you know I you know maybe in the last few years if i started to be a little bit more huggy and a little more touchy yeah but it's not really something i was like necessarily raised with or something that i was you know overly comfortable with in my younger years and mm-hmm. yeah so it was wildly uncomfortable <laughs> but i also understood what was happening and and so it was it was funny and uh it was it was kind of one of the funny stories. There there are plenty of other stories. There are where so I many. Yeah. Bought building supplies that weren't building supplies, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I once painted. I, I once paid to have a painting made of the clinic, mm-hmm. but lost in translation. The painter showed up to paint the clinic, like the actual <laughs> walls of the clinic, and he really badly wanted me because he knew I was the one who had paid for this painting of the clinic. <laughs> And my my English was painting of the clinic. Crayol was paint the clinic. Right, got it. He really wanted me to see how hard he was working. So I was tiling, I'm like down on my hands and knees tiling this floor. And he legitimately was painting the ceiling above us, like <laughs> right above me, right, like on top of me pretty much for like two, three days. That must have been driving you crazy. So badly wanted me to see how hard he was working and yeah. how my money was going to use and it was funny. The first day I didn't really realize what was happening. The second I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is my painting of the clinic. <laughs> that, is really that, was, that was probably a favorite one. And yeah. there are a couple actual paintings of that clinic now. Totally. Um, which I happen to own one now, but it took me another like three years to get it. <laughs> <laughs> it took that long. So yeah, I invested in painting the clinic one year. Anyways, it's all good. <laughs> That's nice of you. You know yeah. what I just thought of when you were telling all that? Um, this time when we were there, like I love Mono so much and he was so generous because I got a little sick and I had to switch rooms so I wasn't sharing illness with anybody. And he gave me his room. Him and his wife let me sleep in their room, which was very lovely and generous of them. But I was putting on my shoes and sitting on the edge of the bed and we were all getting ready to go, him included. I can't remember where we were going. But without thinking, he walked into his bedroom without knocking (laughs) because it's his bedroom. Of course it is. (laughs) But it was out of habit. And the look on his face, he was so shocked and so felt so bad. What is this white lady doing in my bedroom? (laughs) He forgot he had given me his room. And then immediately leaves, like immediately opens the door and is like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then I was like, that's okay. You just you know, forgot. No big deal. Don't worry. I'm not glad I wasn't changing. And then he laughed. <laughs> but then immediately he can't let it, like he has to tell you. Oh, yeah. So out of nowhere, he's like, yeah. finishes laughing with me and is like, Evan! Yeah. Evan! He immediately has to like <laughs> confess. He's walked in. Some, somebody, a member of our group. <laughs> yeah. And he thinks it's so funny and he wanted his like, it was just really sweet. He wanted his like best friend to come hear what he had just done. Yeah, I, I did a dumb thing. <laughs> Actually, you know, that's a, that he has a habit of doing that. What? Not in his bedroom, I suppose. Yeah, that's He was fair. visiting us in Canada, <laughs> got up in the night, went to the washroom, yeah. and then he got a bit lost in our house. Oh, no. Came back down the hallway and went into the, the next door over <laughs> and finds himself in one of my daughter's bedrooms. Oh. And the dog is in there. And the dog goes into protect mode immediately oh no poor mono loses its mind just bark and bark and bark mono's like where am i he can't get back he was so lost i jump out of bed come come in and he's like help 
Uh, anyways, and of course, he just forgets he's in Canada. Yeah. So he didn't turn the light on. In Haiti, there's no power at night. You don't turn the light on at night. You just find your way in the dark. And they, Their eyes are way better at night than they, ours they, are. Yeah, they absolutely are. Anyways, it was pretty funny. And, and uh, so he, he's, yeah, he's got a habit of doing that. Anyways, it was a pretty funny uh, little story or in action with him. He, he's a good laugh. Like yeah. he loves to yeah. laugh. And I think that's that's one of the things I love the most about him. And Me yeah, too. What's great. Yeah, what else do you want me to talk about? I think we should just talk about maybe... Like we're doing this little series and one of the things that was different for us this time oh. was the trip felt a bit different. Like there was some heavier things. Like I haven't been as many times as you, but I couldn't quite place how we were going to talk about this. Like being the person on our team who does all the communications. Yeah. I was like, how are we going to tell these stories? And I have so many stories, my own, but others I've heard. And this time it felt different. Yeah. I think one of the gifts, curses, whatever of going multiple times is you get a sense of kind of what is the culture like, even what is the community like that we go to. We go to a place called Halimbe. It's a smaller community in Northern Haiti. Um, and uh, and you do, you get a feel for kind of what it's like. And it's it's usually a kind of a hope-filled place where very, people are very hospitable and kind, lots of, lots of, you know, saying hello or good morning or whatever. And some of those kinds of things and walking with you, the kids love to play. And so they'll often hang out and play with us. And this uh, has been pretty common over the last 20 years of going there that I said, and I would often say this, look, you're going to go to the poorest country in the Western hemisphere and you're going to find the richest people. And you really do. And you still do. You still do, for sure. We're not, saying, do. we're not saying that. Um, but I would definitely say that um, this last trip um, having not been there for several years through COVID, experiencing inflation, just like we are, all of the things that are kind of going on in the world, have, have, I think in a lot of ways kind of caused us in North America in particular to focus on other things and maybe in my mind to forget a little bit about Haiti. And, you know, I was telling, I wrote this down in a bit of a story. I got back and we were still trying to figure it out. Like, what's the heaviness here? People would still say hello, but there wasn't as much of a jovial greeting. There there was a sense that there was less hope and more desperation. And almost like an exhaustion. Tired. Right. I think, what, what did we use? Like a blanket. It felt yeah. like a, a weighted, like a heavy blanket. Yeah. Over the place. It was just subdued. Yeah, everybody's trying so hard, but it just isn't the same energy. You know, I and it was harder for the three of us that have been there on this trip before, like like full disclosure, it was harder to come back this time than any other time in 20 years for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to figure that out and, and put words to it. Yeah, that's what felt hard. Yeah, and you know, I ended up writing this, and I don't know if we've even used this anywhere, but I was reflecting in the backyard when I got home and... Uh, um, my neighbors have gotten a, they have a husky and huskies have this howl. It's like a groan mm-hmm. and I won't do it for you. We'll see if our audience, the, the suffering of it, but it, but it's kind of a lonely howling groan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this pup was in the back and he was kind of making that noise of the neighbors just a few doors down. And, and for me, it was a good metaphor of kind of what I think it feels like right now for, for some of our Haitian friends that it's like, this dog is kind of whining as if it's been lost or has that no one is paying attention to it. And I know that's what huskies sound like, 
but it, it is what it sounds like. And, and, and it was kind of, for me, a good metaphor to go. It feels like maybe all of Haiti has got kind of a lonely howl and, and the world has, has become deaf to it. Yeah. And I know that Haiti's had lots of challenges, you know, between earthquakes and some of the famines, like cholera outbreaks and all those things. There's political uproar, all of that stuff's kind of going on there. And, and, um, and I do think there is a sense for them that, that maybe the world is, is paying attention to other things. And we got other, like, I'm not saying other things yeah, are important. There's, there's, mm-hmm. there's a war going on in the Ukraine. There's Israel, Palestine, like atrocities are taking place in the world as well. And, and uh, I do think it's, it's sometimes easier to get mad or to look at some of those other things that are going on than to focus on some of, some of the stuff that we've been caring for for a long time. Yeah. Or even to look outside of yourself. It can be difficult to, our lives are hard too. Just pain is pain. Pain It's just looks different. Yeah. And so it's harder to sometimes see outside of that. And I think that's an important, that's an important place to look at too. Your own neighborhoods, but also the world, especially when we come from positions of privilege, like what can we lend our voices and also our money? Like we have a lot. I'm always reminded of that. Yeah. And you know, it's a funny thing. Like you go there with your, with your 14 year old and you see it even more. I know. Right. You know, my kid's out there playing soccer with all the kids. He's the only one with shoes on, you know, and, and that, and that it's normal. Yeah. It's they're normal for sure. And, uh, he's the abnormal one, you know? So I, I think that those are some of those kinds of things that it just, it sheds a little bit more light on it to go, Oh, this is, this is hard right now. Yeah. Harder than it has been. And it's also why when we were there, it was important to tell stories of people that we are inspired by and people that are committed to doing great things in their communities because that is happening everywhere, just like it happens here. Yeah. I think that's, that is one of those kind of things that we often, it's so funny. You go to a different country or you go to a different place and you forget, well, these are, these people know each other. They live here together. They know each other better than we know our neighbors. Mm -hmm. We see each other every single day you know, Haitian culture and a lot of cultures like this, they, they essentially live outdoors. Like they are seeing each other all of the time. And working together because they need each other in a different way. Exactly. So there, there's a real beauty around that and kind of how they build relationships and connections with each other. And some of those, some of those things are pretty phenomenal. Honestly, right now, a lot of the goal for a lot of Haitians is to get out of Haiti. Like that's literally what they're trying to do in order to survive, at least to have a family member get out of Haiti so that the prey like some form of resources can be sent back into Haiti. It's kind of almost a trade, you know, we get out of Haiti so that we can send money back to our family so they don't, so they can survive. So when you come across different individuals, which both of the episodes that we're going to be showing here or bringing to you um, are individuals that actually do know what it's like to live in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. They do know how the rest of the world lives and they have made a choice um, in one case, Elio was in the, in the United States for, for a year and a bit. Uh, Mono has traveled here multiple times to Canada and the United States and other parts of the world to, to talk about the diabetic crisis and needs in Haiti. And so they, they do know mm-hmm. how the rest of the world lives and have made a choice to move back and to stay in their community and make a difference there. There's something pretty empowering about that as you listen to these two gentlemen share their stories to recognize that it's, you know, these people are committed to their community and they've proven it. And they have all the skills and all the things they would need if they had chosen to leave. 
but they love this space and these people and their communities so much that they, they've committed to staying and making Holtland Bay in particular, in this case, a better place for everyone to live. In Mono's case, to provide healthcare to, you know, some, some of his patients are traveling from two hours away mm-hmm. to come and be cared for with a sense of dignity. And give other leaders the same opportunities he had. He does that well. So some great stories uh, of kind of how they came to care about what they do and what they hope for in the future in in Haiti and even a little bit for what they hope for for themselves. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited for Elio. I I knew Elio's story. I knew Mono's story. I've helped him tell it multiple times to our groups. But Elio was uh, new, new for me in terms of some of the details and kind of how they all lined up. And yeah. Having watched a young guy grow up uh, into who he is and to see his passion for his community now is pretty exciting, pretty fun. It is. Should we tell people how to like follow and learn? Yeah. Can, can you tell us a little bit? Like I've been like, I've been talking with my throat sore here, but can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So we partner with an organization. So if people want to give towards us or want to learn more, like obviously we'll share on all the episode details in the notes. You can find the link. It's covchurch, C-O-V church.ca slash Haiti. And then you could join the newsletter. We like are a part of making the newsletter happen. We're a part of telling the stories. So it's that kind of thing too. And then on Unpacked, we'll share more to you about how to get involved. But yeah. And you know, one of the way. things like for, for me, like Kristen and I, we were just really committed to the work that's kind of going on in Haiti. So we give monthly and we just set up through our Canada helps account and, and uh, just come straight out of our account and, and we're a part of each one of these projects in, in a different way um, in terms of financially giving. And, you know, the, whether you're a Bible believer or not, they say that where your treasures are, so there your heart will also be. Mm-hmm. In other words, where you choose to be generous is where you will find your heart going and being broken in a good way. And uh, so that true. doesn't always feel good but in an important and kind of a good way. And so I think, you know, that would be my challenge is as you listen to this episode, it's like, but what, what could that look like for you? Is that a 20, you know, could you mm-hmm. consider giving $25 a month? Could you yeah. consider giving a hundred dollars a month or $150 yeah. or whatever that might be? Whatever you can give, even sharing the story and becoming a part of it. If you just wanted to learn more, cause this is the first time you're hearing of it, then learn more, sign up for the newsletter. If you want to give, give, there's still time always, there's always a need. And then share it. Yeah. Share it. You don't have to be the one to give if it's not in your budget. Talking to others about it, sharing with others, even considering even going on a trip is a huge deal. And this is unpacked. Like this is our story is that, you know, I was going and, and you came. Yeah. You and Ryan came on that first time and your hearts were broken and you experienced the mystery of Haiti as well, you know, along that way. And, and so I do think that that's another one of the ways that we can care is by going and making friends, building relationships with people. So when they call you like Mono does, I think you should come Tara. Yeah. That, uh, that means something Mm -hmm. and that connection means something. So, yeah, I'm excited for these couple of episodes and for Jessica's as well, which is a Mm -hmm. a rerun episode, but we're going to share it again. And uh, you get a chance to hear a little bit from her. So again, um, oh man, this is a series that deserves your likes, your share, your subscribe. And, um, and, uh, it gives you a chance to kind of understand a little bit of kind of what has broken our heart and what we care about. And, um, yeah, we took time out of our, you know, paid weeks to go and, uh, and see our friends there. And that's how important this is to us at Unpacked here. And so, yeah, like, share, subscribe, and all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, we'll forego this month, 
all the big gifts you're giving to our Patreon account to help unpack. To keep, we'll forego those. Yeah, give to Haiti. Give to Haiti this month. <laughs> your uh, massive donations. Yeah, all your donations that help keep Unpacked going. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make a sacrifice this month. You can you can send it straight on to Haiti. We'd love that. Again, I hope that this is a series that not only informs you, but grabs your heart and uh, and your passion for your own neighborhood and for other neighborhoods around the world. Enjoy. Hey, thanks for joining us. If this episode or the podcast has been helpful to you in any way, it would mean so much to us if you would take just 30 seconds to do one or all of these three things. First, follow or subscribe to the Unpacked podcast. This helps you never miss an episode and it goes right to your device. And it helps us so more people can find it too. To do this, head to the show page on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Then just look for the follow or the plus sign and click it. It's so important to us and it would mean so much. And hey, while you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a review, preferably five star, and share an episode with a friend that you found helpful, we would be so grateful. We are so, so grateful for this little online community. And if you're looking for more ways to support or exclusive content, you can head to our Patreon account and you can find that in the link in our bio. Again, thanks for listening.